Hey there, folks. This is Rob Woods, and welcome to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and wants some ideas and maybe a little nudge of inspiration to help you raise more money and enjoy your job, especially during the pandemic. And it's going to be a slightly different episode this time because I'm joined by my long-standing friend and colleague, Ben Swart, and he's going to be chatting to me and asking me some questions about one of my new favourite topics. Ben, how are you today? Hello, Rob. Hi, everyone. I'm very good, thank you. Um, pleased to be here because it was only the other week that we were in a train station in, in, in central London, and this particular content that we're, that we're going to talk about, I'm quite excited because, Rob, we, for hours and hours and hours, you were just going deeper and deeper with brilliant examples that could help a fundraiser. And it just got us thinking, what if we recorded it and got some of that gold out of your head? So I'm pleased to be the, the, the nudger and the host today for that reason. Thank you very much, Ben. Yes, um, frankly, I wish we had just pressed record then um, rather than have to do this over Zoom. But we are where we are. And thank you for those kind words. I really enjoyed our conversation the other day anyway. It is a topic that I have found inspiring. And uh, I would love to share a couple of these ideas in case they do help our listeners as well. So the, the topic in particular, I call this theme, the obstacle is the way. Uh, which is slightly grand title, maybe, for, for a thing to talk about in a podcast. Ben, I was telling you about one of the books I read over the last two years, certainly early in, in the first lockdown of 2020. I read a book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And, you know, not all, the, all of the chapters were brilliant for me, but I really enjoyed the overall message of the book. And several of the chapters were really fabulous for me. And they they did have a very definite impact on, on how some of my pandemic has gone. Mm. Uh, I definitely am not going to say that all of my pandemic has been easy. I've had ups and downs, as has the rest of my family and many of my colleagues. Um, but I, I do feel fortunate that um, a lot of it, certainly professionally, has gone quite well. I've, I've stayed busy. I've enjoyed my work. I've felt I've still been making a difference. And in small part, that's thanks to some of the ideas I got upon reading the book called The Obstacle is the Way. And Rob, I know that when we caught up, you were talking about a strong theme of, of this. And I really want to explore more was how the things that we saw as sort of adversities and weaknesses, you'd noticed from lots of the conversations, possibly guests on this podcast, people on our member site, people we've been training, people you've been coaching, you've noticed that there's this theme that, of how they are viewing and using adversity and, and, and what we would see as weakness to actually get quite brilliant results. Yeah, sure. So I guess maybe first of all, what do I take that title of the book to mean? Apparently, the obstacle is the way is a phrase that was coined first by Marcus Aurelius. And dear listener, if you're not exactly sure who that is i couldn't have told you which century he was around either but apparently marcus aurelius was an emperor of rome many many hundreds of years ago thousands of years ago but he was also one of the earliest stoic philosophers uh, who um, had a particular uh, belief about how one should try to live one's life and he wrote down many of his ideas about that philosophy um and those were picked up and reused by other philosophers um, going down the centuries. And he kind of phrased, and, and this is in a time of 
huge crisis for him personally, including, I think, his, his brother uh, openly plotting to overthrow him, um, wars, famines, and interestingly, uh, even a, a, a plague which ravaged a large swathe of the population, which clearly has parallels to what we've been looking at in our time. He wrote down in notes to himself, if at all possibly you can do it, you have to see that the obstacle is the way. What I take it to mean is you don't just have to suffer difficult, adverse things and, you know, survive them. Very definitely in many obstacles in and of itself that provides some source of advantage. Now, to be very clear, it's not saying the pandemic's been a good thing. Of course, the, there's so many really horrible effects this crisis has had on lots of us and some of us far more than others it's really been like lots of other things in life a not fair disease and there's been unequal Im impact on diff different parts of society so it's not saying that the pand pandemic uh, you know you know is all smiles of course it's horrible but what it is saying is in any thing that's difficult it is also true that often you can find some in ad some advantage often in another area of your life in addition to the fact that yes it's really hard and kind of just being able to embrace the duality of those two concepts and then both be true rather than one or the other is you know it's, I, I know it's obvious in a way Ben but the book explained that well to me and then crucially I, th I think reading the stories in the book caused me to me to be more likely when not in a, you know, I had my, my down days during the pandemic. So when you're you're stung and you're in struggling, you know, this is not saying cheer yourself up, for goodness sake, look on the bright side. But as and when you can get back to an even keel, the the knowing of the book has caused me, me to be more likely to search for, yeah, but are there any advantages here? Not to exploit anyone or take advantage of anyone, but to take advantage of how life is different now that might have some gifts within it. Yeah. And one of the stories, like like you say, I've had the great fortune to interview some really successful fundraisers in the last two years. One of the stories that most sums it up for me, um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think it was episode 53 of this very podcast when I talked to Paula Radley. So if you've not heard that episode, it's well worth a listen. Paula is the, and forgive me if I get the, the, the job title a bit wrong, but she's she's head of the team at Greenpeace UK goes out and does door-to-door -door and face-to-face -face campaigns to, to members of the public and welcoming new ones to start supporting if they wish. And the particular the story she tells in that episode is how in the first lockdowns in the spring of 2020, you know, their team were not able to do anything. But as it became summer, and actually we were allowed to go about our business, albeit in a socially distanced way, and the government was even encouraging people to do that, um, her team still had the problem of how do you do door-to-door -door fundraising at a time when fear is at an all-time all high and socially social distancing as in is in force. Um, and they, there were several things they did to try and solve that problem. But the, the most, to me, memorable is they ended up being able to get out the door after se several pilots and tests, get out the door um, and when they would 
ring the doorbell of, oh, first of all, they do a door drop in advance. So that if you didn't want someone knocking on your door, you could put a, a sticker of an orangutan on the, the handle of your door, go away. So you could, could, could signal whether you wanted them to ring your doorbell at all. But, but the, the key thing is when they actually went and rang the doorbells, they would unroll a two meter long mat um, on the doormat uh, with a picture of this lovely uh, orange orangutan in the green undergrowth with his arms open. So that, can you imagine being on, on the, the household, o- open the door and the first thing you see is, is that mat and the Greenpeace UK fundraising representative stood well, more than two metres back, respectfully, asking if you'd like to talk about issues going on in the environment and how we, you know, are you concerned about those things? Would you like a conversation about it? Now, long story short, I can totally see, okay, maybe some householders wouldn't want to have that conversation, same as they always wouldn't have wanted to, and respectfully, no thank you today. But if you did want to talk to Greenpeace that day, can you see how the act of having that mat (laughs) would be more likely to make you smile and lead, you know, um, metaphorically lean into the conversation and want to have the chat because the mat in and of itself reinforces the values that you care about. I can totally see how it would work. And guess what, dear listener? It did work. That can not only did this ingenuity enable Paula to, to get her team out the door and to do it safely for the team, for the householders, for the reputation of the charity and so on, but also, just financially, the campaign was massively successful. In fact, they raised 20% more than they had the, the summer before in a, in a non-COVID summer in 2019. So the reason I, I love this story is it it's absolutely sums up the idea the obstacle is the way. Yeah. The obstacle, yeah. fear and social distancing, keeping, as far as I'm aware, every other face-to-face fundraising team non-operational that summer (laughs) maybe there's one or two i'm not aware of for greenpeace uk and paula they used that very reasons why we couldn't go out and why conversations would be impossible or harder to actually make conversations possible and easier that story to me sums up the notion of the obstacle is the way yeah i i love that rob i know when we were talking it through uh, and I was talking to my team about it. I think it's the first time in my life that I genuinely wanted so, uh, uh, someone who works in face-to-face door fundraising to come to my door because I wanted to experience it. When, when normally that might not be what most people are thinking. Um, I think it's the same. We've noticed it too, I think, in, in people that I've worked with. Um, really early on, I know we talked about this in one of our episodes, that the actually very early on, more people were at home. So if I wanted to call you, you know, we talk about needing to use the phone more and actually because people were at home and not in the office, they were more likely to answer the, the phone. And I know in one of your calls, somebody saw their hit rate of likelihood to have their phone call answered just dramatically increase uh, and therefore more likely to speak to their donor and eventually get more gifts. We've we've seen that um, events that have gone vir- that, that are virtual instead of being face to face, not big glitzy fundraising events, not marathons, but sort of a chance to meet a subject matter expert or chairman of your charity or an expert doctor or a clinician, those types of events, attendances went up three, four, five times. And suddenly you could get a donor who you've been wanting to talk to in a room, a virtual room for 50 minutes, 
you could get 40 of them in the room where beforehand you'd really struggle to even get one. And it's really, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, we've seen example after example of, of, of where the thing that we thought was our adversity has, has begun to help us get just, just get better results. Absolutely. And uh, one of these podcast episodes was with Paul Courtney from Children's Hospice Southwest. And he said that their sponsored events, their two flagship sponsored events, I think one's called the Rainbow Run with, with, with coloured paint and so on, and one's called a Santa's on the Run. Those two sponsored events for their hospice raised more money than, again, than in a non-COVID year. Now, if you want to listen to how they did it, because I know that sounds kind of crazy compared to many charities experiences but what's possible for virtual sponsored events um so do check out that podcast episode as well but yes um some things about covid have definitely made some bits of fundraising much harder it is also true that it has brought some advantages and you know this is what fascinates me so much about this concept and i was making some notes after a conversation the other day ben and it occurred to me that we're four key ideas yeah. that if someone intellectually wants this to be true and they want to take advantage of this concept more deliberately i noticed three or four things across all of these conversations that i've been having where a fundraiser or a charity has found the advantage i noticed four things they've done um, robert it's it's unlike you to have a four-step model that other people could use to help them with their fundraising <laughs> tell me more <laughs> <laughs> Touche, Ben. Yes, uh, you and I well know that our hearts sink if we hear a 10 top tips or a 22 best ways to do a thing. So if I can boil it down to just three or four chunks or hooks on which to hang a seemingly complex aspiration or idea, uh, we found through our training and coaching that often that increases the chances that by chunking it down, uh, people can remember it, share it, and, and um, take action. Hi, it's Rob, and I wanted to jump in quickly to let you know that if you're the manager of a team, or if you belong to a fundraising team, at the time of publishing this episode, we're still accepting team memberships to our learning and inspiration site, the Bright Spot Members Club. To give you a quick sense of the impact that ongoing access to these resources can have, here's what one fundraising manager shared about how the club has helped his team's results. Hi, my name is Dan McNally and I've been a Bright Spots Members Club for over a year now. And what I absolutely love about the club is the practical ability to translate Rob's amazing sessions out into real life field fundraising results. When I was at the British Heart Foundation, we created a workshop based on Rob's corporate fundraising bundles. And within six months, every single person who had gone on this workshop that we developed had managed to secure one of their dream 10 corporate organizations. To find out more about all the live workshops and training bundles that you get access to through the club, go to brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Or to find out about the valuable discounts available for teams, send me a message at events at brightspotfundraising.co.uk. For now though, back to the interview as Ben and I explore two things you can do to help you find more opportunities in tough times. So the first one, I know it sounds so obvious, but all of these fundraisers who've done this, they are they've been more willing to expect opportunity. So lots of us in hindsight can grudgingly or happily say, do you know what, actually in fairness, 
this thing about my life has got better because of the pandemic. To me, the um, yes, that's great because it'll help you be more optimistic and likely to find opportunities. But even more powerful is like when you're struggling and suffering, don't you know say, yeah, but where, <laughs> where's the upside? When life is tough, be honest and real about the problem. But if and when you're on an even keel, a key thing I think these fundraisers do is they expect to find an opportunity. They actively search for, is there any advantage in the changes that are happening to us? And um, one of the examples I really like, again, it's in the podcast series and it's episode 61 with Laura Webb. Those of you who are avid fans of the podcast, you might remember she works for Leeds Hospitals Charities and she's a corporate fundraiser. The autumn of 2020, she was thinking, oh, my goodness, what tends to happen at Christmas time is lots of well-meaning people leave presents for us to give to the patients. And it's lovely, but surprisingly, often we can't use them because they're inappropriate in some way. And this year we can't use them at all because of um, COVID regulations. We're just not allowed to receive any of those. So she was searching and searching for a way to solve that and to raise some money. And uh, while she was hungry for a solution, one of the things that came to her attention was this brilliant campaign that the fundraisers at Sheffield Children's Hospital have done for years and years, maybe a decade or more, which is a, um, a wonderful snowflake appeal, which is whereby companies donors in Sheffield can sponsor Christmas lights on the side of the hospital. Laura saw that in September of uh, 2020, thought, why couldn't we do that? Incredibly quickly, uh, and in a way that's the point of the story, she galvanised decision-making within her charity in Leeds to do something really similar and sponsor a a sparkle. And long story short, they did a a switch-on of those lights in early December in a, and in only a few weeks, they managed to find more than 20 uh, businesses in Leeds that wanted to get involved and sponsor a Christmas light. Um, uh, it raised £35,000 they wouldn't have had otherwise. Fabulously, more than half of the 22 or so companies that came on board were brand new. They'd never donated to the charity before. So A, it's clearly new money. And B, mm-hmm. now there's a wonderful chance to, to build a relationship with those companies you could call it like a first test drive with them after they pay this uh, for this light now laura was really clear in the interview she said I, I couldn't believe we got the decision made so quickly i honestly think if it hadn't been for the special nature of of being in a pandemic there'd have been so many more meetings people would have thought long and hard about you know because she was having to liaise with not only her colleagues in the charity, but also the partner hospital and um, the colleagues in estates in that in that hospital, and you know maybe the council to to um, get the lights fixed on the side. So many decisions, and yet literally within a few days and weeks, the few days a decision was made, and then they cracked on. So I think. COVID brought an advantage there, A, maybe to we've got to try something new, and B, crucially, to do to take action more quickly. So Rob, I, I love that example from Laura. And and one of the things about it is it, it sounds like she's really good at looking out and, and getting ideas elsewhere, not just from where she is, but broader from other places. Yes, absolutely. 
And there's a phrase I once wrote down. I can't remember who first coined it, but it's, it's this notion of swiping with glee. <laughs> and it is true that there's a few truly astonishing, innovative thinkers in all works of life who are the absolute first movers, the, the ones who in, invent something or really change a paradigm and come up with the, the very first new way of doing something. I'm thinking of the way James Dyson changed the paradigm of, for instance, how vacuum cleaners work and that, that market and how it's shaped. There's a few people who do that. But what I also have noticed in fundraising and many other walks of life, you don't have to be that astonishingly creative one, astonishingly brave one, to really make great benefit from innovating you don't have to be the most creative person to be a great innovator. And it seems to me, no disrespect to Laura and her colleagues, but what they did quite brilliantly was they paid attention to what was going on elsewhere. And crucially, Laura has the habit, I've noticed, of kind of being open to and putting herself in opportunities where she can get ideas. And I would sum up that whole habit as the idea of cross-pollination. And one thing I would say about it is it's too late if you only start doing cross-pollination habits two days before a pitch yeah. or, or when your director says, we need a, some new ideas for a new appeal in this. Like, of course, at that point, go out and do some research. You'd be a fool not to. But a thing I've noticed about some of the most successful fundraisers is just ongoingly in their working week, they somehow make time to be drip, 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 getting exposed to some different interesting ways other experts, either fundraising or otherwise, are doing things. I'm reminded of Max Newton when he was on the podcast and I asked him, how on earth do you go from being able to run 10K to then run a marathon to then be able to run for 200 miles nonstop through a dark tunnel in one of these ultra marathons? How on earth do you achieve that uplift in your ability to run and to have stamina. He said, well, one of the key things is I get in amongst people who already have that skill set. They just are, oh, there's a recipe, there's a set of solutions, waves of solving the problem of how to run for a long time and keep going. And rather than try and make them all up myself, <laughs> for years I've, I've been cross-pollinating and, and, and finding ways online and offline to be able to find out how those masters how those experts do it. Uh, it's just, I follow that recipe. So that's a really interesting example of, of, um, of a dramatic uplift in performance using cross-pollination. But I think a, a driving force, I mean, you, you remember, Ben, you know, two and a half years ago when I first got this idea, I wanted to create a podcast. <laughs> Little did I know how, how much blood, sweat and tears it would require to, to get the thing out most weeks. Um, but right back from the start, and you said to me, well, you know, what do you think it should be about? Right from the start, I said, I'm determined that it shouldn't just be theoretical advice because there's loads of great advice out there. I want it to be driven as much as possible by real examples that contain some good advice, but even more importantly, help us believe that something is possible. And I like to think that, that for most of our episodes, we've managed to stick to, to that 
first principle of of how to create an episode for fundraising bright spots show i just got a message today from a fundraiser called emma watts who's, who uh, shared a screenshot of of um her spotify and it said and it showed up what what was the podcast she's listened to more than any other this year and i was kind of uh, humored and astonished to discover that that she's listened to my voice more than Michelle Obama's podcast. So uh, for, forgive my vanity for just being a bit excited about that. But when I get those lovely messages, I like to think if our shows have helped, it's because we've been determined to, yeah. to find stories rather than primarily give advice and primarily give opinions and discuss things. Um, I'm particularly remembering Susie Thompson, who was originally at Royal Northern College of Music, saying that she and her team have listened to almost every episode of the show all the way through lockdown. And each time they challenged themselves to find at least one idea they could implement from the podcast. And when they had their astonishingly successful appeal for that charity in December of 2020, uh, the target was 50,000. It raised six times that. It raised 300,000 pounds. And when I asked Susie to speak at our breakfast club for fundraising leaders and explain that journey and some of the things she did. And she's, she said, well, you know, one of the key things was, you know, lots of extra thanking, extra postcards and messages out to people during the early part of lockdown. Uh, and a key thing that above all we did is we made as many phone calls as we could to our existing supporters to thank them and to check they were okay during the first part of lockdown. And yeah. I got that straight directly from your podcast in fact, I even think it was the episode that you kindly recorded for us, Ben, back whenever it was in April of 2020. So to me, huge congratulations to Susie and her team for doing that difficult thing. It's easy to say that. It's hard to, to do it. It takes courage. It takes discipline. It takes time. But Susie was kind enough to say it was easier to do it because of this habit of getting exposed to different ideas and success stories of what other people have been doing because then it helps you believe in the tactic and follow through and implement it. And just one last example that springs to mind on our Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme, again, the DNA that runs through what you and I teach on our programmes is, again, to include these bright spot examples. Yeah. And some people have heard my example of a brilliant fundraiser called Anna pitching to Innocent Smoothie and putting the whole pitch for why she wanted to meet them for coffee on the label of an innocent smoothie bottle in their lovely, fun, playful language. And I shared that in Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme uh, last year. And several months later, a brilliant fundraiser called Tommy came back working for a medical charity and said he'd, he'd done exactly the same thing when pitching to a, a bottled water company. And there was a lovely, happy ending to that story because it was a, a three-year partnership worth more than £150,000 to that medical charity with that water company so one of the things that makes me most happy is when i see people cross-pollinating getting ideas it's just far easier to be creative if you get a drip 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 of good ideas that are working for other people thank you very much rob Do you know i'm really pleased that we decided to push record uh, and let people in on the conversation that we had in that train station cafe um today I know that you had more ideas, at least three other tactics that you wanted to share. And so I'm excited that we will be able to share those in another episode coming up. Yes, really keen to carry on from where we left off. First of all, we've we've talked about this 
frankly, the most important thing, somehow, in spite of all the difficulty, find a way to expect some opportunity somewhere. Um, and I've just started to, to touch on a thing that Laura did, which was cross-pollinate and, and put herself in opportunities where she would get ideas from outside her, her charity. Uh, and I'll go into that in a little bit more depth next time. But then I've got two more key things that I've noticed, these very successful fundraisers who've managed to find the advantage even in the obstacles. I'm going to share those two other things as well in the follow-up episode. But for today, Ben, thank you ever so much for, for doing this chat with me. I really appreciate it. And I'll catch up with you very soon. So I hope you found these ideas and examples were helpful. If so, and you've not already subscribed, please remember to hit subscribe now so that you can search for other episodes that take your fancy and so that you don't miss any new episodes that we're sharing soon. As always, you can get a full transcript and a summary of the episode on the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. If you're the leader of a fundraising team and you'd like your team to get access to a whole library of our best training films, our community and our weekly workshops, then do check out brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Although at the time of publishing in December 2021, we're not taking on new individual members, we are still able to accept new team memberships and the various discounts for teams are better than half the price of solo memberships. So if you'd like to find out more about these options, drop me a line at events at brightspotfundraising.co.uk. And just before I finish, thank you again to everyone who's been getting in touch and sharing this podcast with colleagues and on social media. Ben and I would love to hear what you think about this episode. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Ben is at Ben Swart, that's B-E-N-S-W-A-R-T, and I am at Woods underscore Rob. Thank you so much for listening today. Stay safe and best of luck with your fundraising in spite of the many challenges being thrown at you. Bye-bye.